You're listening to Chasing the Word on Compassion Radio. Welcome back for our continuing series on the Songs of Ascent from Psalms. It is our Chasing the Word series for this season. Now we're in the season of Lent, and Mm. we'll be thinking about the contrast, I think, between mourning or preparing for loss and these other Songs of Ascent, which seem to be so aspirational and so excited about actually arriving at the place where God's doing His work. When it comes down to it, the Lenten season is all about preparing us to see what God does as His work. Mm. And the songs of ascent were all about the people of Israel ascending the hill to see the works of God in his home. They're not separate, really, but they have very different emotional effects on us, I think. So we'll talk about that contrast over the season leading up to Easter. It is Psalm 128. Yeah, in Judaism, these psalms of ascent were sung in preparation and on a journey to the temple for these various holy feasts and celebration days. Some of them were very solemn. There was celebrating to be done at the time as well. But there were solemn preparations. The steps they took, they were very intentional. That's what Lent has come to look like for me as well. Mm. It's a very intentional preparation toward an event that we call Easter and the resurrection. I see myself walking this road to the temple in some ways as we go through Lent, as we sit in Ash Wednesday and receive the sign of the cross with ashes on our forehead and what that represents for us as believers. It's a beautiful melding and combining of two, in some ways, separate faith traditions, but with the real purpose of celebrating the God of heaven. Many people talk about how important it is at holidays, where there's supposed to be lots of joy, remembering those who may be in mourning during Mm. seasons of joy. We're always cautioned that we come into Christmas time or near birthdays or even Thanksgiving about the angst that goes through a family when you're sitting together, but there's someone now missing from Mm -hmm. that mix. Mm -hmm. All of our families throughout this life will go to a season of loss. Mm -hmm. And that year of first, we call it, all the other activities and celebrations that would be normal for the family unit you are will not be normal, especially this year. So I've got to believe that when they sang these songs of ascent, the people that actually did this journey, that actually performed this kind of ritual, they would have gone through their year of firsts like we do in modern day. And they would certainly be thinking about people they don't have with them on this journey compared to the previous journey, Mm -hmm. which makes the psalm we're going to read here all the more almost poignant in its inference of those who are missing, but also at the same time kind of ridiculous in that why would we celebrate while we're mourning? And yet we're called to. So I see a tension here for many people who enter into a time when the scripture is saying, celebrate, and you don't want to, mm-hmm. or you don't feel like you can. Yeah. So we'll talk more about the answer of the heart to what the scripture is saying. But let's go ahead and read it again. Psalm 128 would have been sung right as they were coming into the court of the temple. Yeah. So they see the place now. It's, mm-hmm. There's no doubt where you are now or what it might look like. Or if it's your first time going up to the temple, you see the whole thing. From the ground to the top of the temple, it's right there in front of you. It's kind of sung as a blessing as well. So this psalm talks about the blessings in the way that God is going to pour out his self on you and pour out his love and richness upon you. I'm going to read it from the voice translation. 
Those who stand in awe of the Eternal, who follow wherever He leads, committed in their hearts, experience His blessings. God will use your hard work to provide you food. You will prosper in your labor, and it will go well for you. Your wife will be like a healthy vine producing plenty of fruit, a spring of life in your home. Your children will be like young olive shoots. You will watch them bud and bloom around your table. Such are the blessings the Eternal lavishes on those who stand in awe of Him. May the Eternal continue to pour out His love on you, showering down blessings from His holy mountain, Zion. May you see Jerusalem prosper all your days. May you have the privilege of seeing your grandchildren as they grow. May peace flourish in Israel. Beautiful picture and very, say, a prosperity gospel feel to it. Mm. God will always bless you. This is what God does. The first thing that kind of rang out in my head when I first read this was, is it really always that good? And does God always just pour out his blessings? Do you always have more children than you can count? Is your house always full of people and food and celebration? Well, in a word, no. But there's something about this that says what it's okay to expect of God and why it's okay to celebrate these things. Even when others would say, well, that's ridiculous. Why would you even think you would be favored above anybody else? We'll unpack that one now. Yeah, I see it more. This psalm is giving me permission to celebrate the good things of God. There you go. Like you talked about earlier, we go through times of mourning. We've both been through those things in our family, through loss and disappointment and traumas that have made us who we are. For me, sometimes I felt like it wasn't okay to celebrate. Mm. And you made a good point of that earlier, that this is a way that we can honor those who are not with us now, honor the things that we have lost And know that God is still in the business of healing and provision and comfort. We can celebrate when we feel okay, when we feel good, even when we don't feel good. And God says, it's okay. It's okay to feel bad. It's okay to not feel like celebrating at Christmas before or other times. It's okay not to feel like celebrating. But it doesn't mean that you can't celebrate if you do feel like it. We have free will and agency, is Mm. what you're saying, and we have that ability to choose. Some people could honestly say, I don't even know how to start. Mm. People that are in deep depression, for example, Mm -hmm. medical, emotional, and spiritual, in such a way where there is no hope of changing. I don't know we should spend a lot of time unpacking every possibility of of Mm. suffering in the middle of a psalm of, of joy. There's two things that we probably should consider. First of all, Most of these psalms are addressed to the people. Who is being addressed in this psalm? Is it all the people? Those who stand in awe, those who fear the Lord, those who love the Lord and bow before him. If we're talking about the kind of character of the person who's there, it's important that we identify with the characteristics that are spoken in a psalm and say, yes, this is me or this is not me and allow those words to speak to me. I also see a category of people that are in this psalm. It's not addressed to children. It's not addressed to the wives. It's addressed to the head of household. In the time of patriarchy, the head of the household would have been the man that's leading this group. For some reason, this psalm seems to be zeroing in on the man, on the head of the family, as the culture of the time would have defined it. 
He's being addressed directly about your wife and your children and your prosperity. It's a very family-focused psalm. Traditionally, in the context of this culture of ancient Judea, Psalm 128 hones in on that. Yeah. It focuses on this is the family. Like you said, honey, in that culture, it was a very patriarchal society. It's easy to read that into this and say, well, as a woman, I don't, you know, I don't have to look <laughs> at this. But nonetheless, it is a family affair. It's, Indeed. It's talking about your children, your spouse, your grandchildren, those people around you that are closest to you. I think about a man's ego approaching someplace that is threatening. Imagine that you are from a small town and you're maybe a, a pretty good-sized fish in this pond where you live, and <laughs> you go all the way with your little clan up to the Temple Mount, and maybe for the first time you're at the top of the hill looking at the glory that is Jerusalem. And you're thinking, I got nothing to compare with that. Yeah. And you look around you and you see what goes into the artistry and the excellence and the construction of something that is dedicated to God. I can see an insecure man stepping up there not knowing what he would have to say or offer in comparison to what he sees in front of him. Of course, that perspective is really a selfish one in that the person that's thinking this way is not really thinking about God at that moment. Think about himself Mm -hmm. and how easy it is for men in general to look at something that seems way out of reach or something that's higher than anything you've ever lived with or been able to bring home for your family and just have it not prick your soul a little bit. And then you're distracted by not thinking about the thing that God wants you to think about, but how good it is, how good it is to be in God's house, how good God is to his people. But it's not just a richness of the substance of the stones and the gold and the reflections off the polished surfaces of this beautiful temple. It is about the quality of God within, Mm. that what we see here is something that is not just wholly other or away from us and glorious because it's apart from us. It's a kind of glory that is there to be among us and within us. Anybody who's insecure approaching that temple for the first time might hopefully be overwhelmed by the Spirit's welcome to come worship at that temple Mm. because God is not an idol standing in there looking pretty, carved by the hands of men. In fact, his physical form will be quite absent, and yet his presence should be very tangible because the Word speaks it, and they speak the Word back to God as they're approaching the temple. Whether getting Bibles into closed countries, relief supplies into dangerous refugee camps, or providing training in theology books to barefoot pastors as they begin their ministry, these are all the kind of things that we love to share with you every day. And more importantly, they're the kind of things we like to do. The first and best way to reach us is through our website, CompassionRadio.com. You can also support us with a call during Pacific Time business hours at 1-800-868-2478. You can also text COMPASSION to 53445 to give right through your phone no matter where you are. And note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160. Corona, California, 92877. We so much value your messages and letters. And know this, your gift is deeply appreciated. Thank you for loving us in this way. God is not an idol standing in there looking pretty, carved by the hands of men. In fact, his physical form will be quite absent. And yet his presence should be very tangible because the word speaks it. And they speak the word back to God as they're approaching the temple. So I wonder what it's like for a family who's maybe aspirational and working hard, coming up in the world, but not really feeling like they're really making it. Or it's been a tough road to get here. And 
I can imagine what it would be like for some men to be facing things that are much more turned out and much more uh, upscale than anything they've ever known. Well, I would encourage you to push back against that conditioned response, perhaps. Yeah. I think that God didn't design us that way. God designed us to be open to his creation and worship. When we pile things on top of it, they're conditional things, they're yeah. things that we're conditioned by and that we're distracted by. And women are just as easily distracted by things, shiny things or whatever. Or conditioned to respond certain Conditioned respond, yeah. As we grow in our understanding of what the Holy Spirit is calling us to individually, regardless of our gender, we are completely and utterly adored by Mm. the God of the universe. And we can go into this courtyard before the temple, standing in awe of the eternal, And knowing that God says, those people who come into this space, who stand in awe of me, who fear my name, who worship and reverence me, I'm going to notice that. And I think that's what this is talking Mm -hmm. about. God is noticing these people that are coming in there in such awe of him. And he's saying, God's going to use the work of your hands to provide for you to provide for you and those you care for, your family and others around you. He's going to cause happiness to well up in your life. Because the word blessed means happy. It will be well with you, yeah. And your family will be fruitful and productive. I think it is not just for the man to see this. And Mm -hmm. I understand your perspective. I think it is for all of us to look at because there are single people out there, single women who don't have what you're talking about, this husband that's providing and going to look over them. And they are capable of all of the things and all of the gifts that God has right. given them to use in their own provision. When it's going into the uh, second person perspective, you and your and all the speaking to the people or to the individual who's soaking it all in, this, therefore, would not be us talking to God about himself. Mm-hmm. This is God talking to us. Yeah. So this song is a God song. It's a God to us song. Mm -hmm. So when God starts his own chorus with, aren't you happy because you fear me? Because everyone who really fears me and follows me, ah, when you walk in my way, you are going to be happy. Mm -hmm. That seems to be the heart of this thing. Like, Like God's just so excited to show off his treasure to you and say, this is all yours. You're inheriting this. We're just stunned by what we see. We don't realize or take in that this is really for us. The temple is not for God. It's where the people of God go to worship him. But what does God need with pretty stones and things? He's got the entire universe. But what he doesn't have automatically is our hearts. And so there's got to be something special that God cannot do at his own temple. Mm -hmm. He cannot worship himself. He can't be on the outside looking back in on himself. But he's mystically somehow all around us and within us anyway. But it's not himself alone worshiping himself, even though they're perfectly fine as a trinity, loving on each other for eternity. Somehow, for some reason, he wanted this. Mm -hmm. He wanted these people to step up on top of that step and just be stunned by how welcome they are. It reminds me of going to a IMAX theater. Mm. You go in and you sit down, and if it's one of these immersive experiences— you get the water sprayed on you when you go through the, oh, through the uh, riverbed or you're flying. And I remember doing this with our children one time, going to an IMAX, and it was a Grand Canyon, mm. an IMAX. And it was fabulous, mm-hmm. fantastic. Well, 
I'd been to the Grand Canyon before. It's fabulous. And it was fabulous. <laughs> I remember our son, who was seven at the time, thinking, well, that's pretty awesome. You know, that's huge. It's, look, that's great. You know, he was excited about it, but eh, not really. Well, then that summer, we went actually to the Grand Canyon, and it was the 4th of July. We got there at night. We got into our cabin. We said, tomorrow, we're going to go and see the canyon. And we knew we were only like 100 hours away right. from the rim. We, it was right there, but you couldn't see it in the dark. We got up the next morning, and we walked out of our cabin, and there was this expansive view. And I remember our son gasping. Mm. And he said, this is nothing like the movie said it was. Mm. This is awesome. And he was just jumping up and down and yeah. super excited. And I think this is kind of the idea. We have this picture in our mind of what the temple of God would look like. And we're on this journey. And yet, we still really have no clue until we are face-to-face yeah. with the presence. And yes, we can experience that here in this life to an extent. Yeah. But journeying toward that the excitement grows, yeah. the the anticipation is there, and then we step into the courtyard. Yeah. That is what I want to take out of this. I want to take that from this psalm, being in awe of God. And we use the word fear yeah. of God a lot, and I, I struggle with the word fear mm-hmm. because it usually has a negative connotation. Yeah. That's not what this is about. This is about a deep love and reverence awe and reverence and a limited understanding mm. of what God <laughs> probably is like. It's probably that stunned realization that yeah. this is real. Yeah. yeah. Interesting comparison you're making here between the Grand Canyon and the Temple of God because I felt that too. I felt like I was stepping out from the North Room especially because mm. there's something special about that for me. You look out into a vast emptiness. Mm. There's something about the Grand Canyon that if it wasn't for our soul perceiving it for its majesty— we would think, oh, it's just a huge hole that's dangerous. I don't want to get anywhere near that. And that's the extent of it. I imagine many animals probably get near the edge and say, none of that. I'm getting out of here and turn around. But something draws us to that place where the thing which is nothing is far beyond our comprehension. But it's right there in front of us, begging us to see it. Is the temple that is God himself not like that? Mm. Where like we look into emptiness, where it's not somebody standing there with our eyes grabbing the reality. But somehow in that emptiness is a fullness. Yeah, have you ever sat at the Grand Canyon and just listened to the whisper of the wind mm. in an afternoon or felt the cool come up from the valley or the rush of hot through the end of the day? I mean, there's so much going on in that emptiness mm-hmm. that you don't want to leave it. And I imagine that people going to the temple like that felt the same way. They sensed that God was here, was near. And they heard the stories of all the times that God literally spoke from his temple to his prophets, to his priests, to his people. They don't want to miss out the opportunity to experience the same thing. I think our reverence of the Grand Canyon is a good signpost. It's a good way to say, yeah, that is a holy reverence. (laughs) It is a healthy fear of the unknown well, the canyon could kill you. That emptiness would suck you right in physically, and you would break your bones at the bottom of the canyon if you're not careful. So there is a danger there. So I think that's what you're talking about, that healthy fear in the spiritual level is just the same thing. You can mm-hmm. wreck yourself on the shoals of your spiritual life, too, by misinterpreting or taking bad direction in the face of the holy yeah. and doing something wholly other than what God would have you do. Mm-hmm. It is possible. Yeah. But he is drawing us in there to say, as C.S. Lewis was so good about talking about Aslan, is he safe? No. But is he good? Yes. I think that's a great way to wrap up Psalm 128. 
realizing that it is a family affair for us. It is a joining of God's people together on a journey toward the holiest of places there is. And it's all around us now. Such are the blessings that will be bestowed on the man who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion all the days of your life. May you rejoice in the prosperity of Jerusalem and live to see your children's children. That's a hopeful and wishful statement, but it's also one that is a prayer too, is it not? Mm. If you go to God and say, this one thing I would ask, and you lay out your heart there, from God's heart to yours, he's saying, this is the kind of stuff I want to give you. We may not have any clue how that's going to manifest itself in our lives, but the hope of the Israelites all those centuries was that God was of this kind, that he was always kind and gracious and giving in a world that seemed very treacherous. And we still feel the same way today, don't we? Mm. The world doesn't always protect us. In fact, it is often a threat to us, we feel. And yet, we don't just persevere. Sometimes we glory and we bravely go where we can't believe we're going because of that expectation that God is going to do something great in and through us and among us. Mm -hmm. So we can hang on to this psalm with great confidence, but also acknowledging that this is God talking. It's not about what we have to gin up to prove to God that we believe he's good. God simply saying it. I think it's up to him and over time to show how it's going to manifest itself in the lives of those who choose to let him truly be Lord. So I'll let him be in charge of the psalm because it's his anyway. Well, friends, that's what we have for Compassion Radio is Chasing the Word on Psalm 128, the psalm of ascent, as Sandy was saying, that puts us on the top step, looking right at the temple now, just steps away from touching it with our own hands, from experiencing the smell of the censers being burned up in the holy place and the smell of the rich sacrifices that are being consumed by God and by the people together. It's a very rich place. But it's just a hint of the kind of richness that God is and wants us to be drawn into. Thanks so much for joining us today on Compassion Radio's Chasing the Word. We'll see you tomorrow.
Remember, friends, Compassion Radio is always a coalition of the willing. Are you willing to help get out God's good news stories of the kingdom really living the gospel in the 21st century? Oh, I hope so. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com, or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. And our mailing address is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Again, that's Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. We need you, friend, so contact us today.